Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. We have allowed ourselves to become so disconnected and ignorant about something that is as intimate as the food that we eat. Be prepared to grow your own for victory. God said I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to yean lambs and wean pigs and tend the pink foamed pullets who will stop his mower for an hour to splint the broken leg of a meadowlark. So God made a farmer. Hello and welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. I'm your host, Harold Thornbrough, and glad you're joining me again today. This is episode 99, July 19th, 2018, and today we're going to talk about what to do first to turn a new home into a homestead. And in this uh, episode, I'm going to answer a a listener question about what I would suggest they do first at their soon-to-be new home to turn it into a functioning homestead. So I thought it was a great question. Now, I almost didn't answer this because... I just kind of answered a similar question back on episode 93, but we'll talk a little bit about that and why I answered it and the differences. And uh, I'll talk about some different things in this episode than I did in that one. But I do want to bring out some points I made in that episode. But before we get into all that, here's a few homestead updates. We still have no rain around here. I mean, it has been, we were supposed to get some the other day. I think I mentioned that in the podcast. You know, we had started out with like a hundred percent chance of rain and then it went down to like 60 and well, I won't say no rain. We had like a light five-minute shower. I went out there and stuck my uh, fingers in the dirt afterwards, and it it just got the very top of the soil wet, and it didn't. It just dried out so fast. So uh, basically, no rain again. You know, so I've been out there watering the garden, and it's just been wow, unbelievable. But you know, still, still working though. I mean, it's times like this, you know, I love watering the garden. I do. It really doesn't bother me. I come home in the evenings and I like working in the garden. I don't mind watering. I don't mind. It's the reason I don't put in an irrigation system because I I like the time in the garden doing things. Uh, you know, most people would say, I want, you know, put in an irrigation uh, system and you won't have to do that. And, and absolutely. But it is something I've always enjoyed. I, I really don't mind going out there and watering things and pulling some weeds and spending some time in the garden. It's just enjoyable to me. But when you go through a streak like this for, you know, weeks where there's no, no real rain. Yeah. You start thinking, yeah, maybe I should put in an irrigation system in. It's just something I, I, I kind of hate to do, but you know, I, times like this, do make you consider it because there was a couple days I just couldn't get out there to water the garden and it, it suffered a little bit and uh you know come on rain <laughs> we're supposed to get some this weekend I uh I hope it happens uh started drying a lot of herbs 
I'm just drying them outside. I just got a little screen and some of them I've just hung up. Um, got some cilantro and some parsley and uh, just a few things. I just I just cut off like stalks of it and hang it. And then some of it I have some screens I lay across. But I started doing a lot of that. And I mean, you can use the dehydrator, but I'm no hurry for it. So I just kind of do it the, the old-fashioned way there, and it works pretty good. Getting ready to make some more pickles. Uh, we made a big batch of pickles the other day and got a lot more cucumbers. Cucumbers are doing great this year. You know, every once in a while, I just have one of those years where cucumbers, they always do pretty good here, but some years they just do exceptionally well. And I actually uh, went with a different variety this year, and I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but uh, I like the other ones, but they get they get a little bitter about mid-season, and these were supposed to be a little bit re- uh, resistant to that, um, the bitterness. So I thought, well, I'll try these different kind and, and – you know the the thin the skin is a little thinner on them. They got a little bit different texture. I like them though. I don't think they're as good for pickles because because that skin's a little thinner. We we actually opened up a jar uh, yeah, a couple days ago of our first batch of pickles, and they're a little bit uh, they're not as as uh, crispy and and stiff as as the the pickles I've made in the past. So I I might go back to the the kind of cucumbers I was growing before because they were just a better pickle. Um, these are really great though, just for for munching on because uh, they are just they're a good snacking cucumber. But uh, they're working. I mean, they might end up being a little mushier, a little softer pickle, but they'll be fine. Uh, I've also been making a lot of baby food. My granddaughter, I mean, she just loves to eat the the stuff out of the garden. Uh, started out making her squash, and she she likes it okay. But I found I found the thing she loves, and that's beets. We'll take beets and just kind of uh, skin them, and then cube them up, and just throw them in some boiling water for a little bit. And uh, I throw them. I have a ninja that I make smoothies with, and I'll stick them in that ninja, and I'll just puree them in that ninja. Well, I tell you what. Uh, we didn't know how she'd like beets. So set her down, give her some beets. This was a couple weeks ago. First time we gave her any. And, uh, wow, that's her food. Let me tell you, she loves beets. <laughs> she is messy with them too, but we've been giving her all kinds of stuff from the garden. Just, we, I did the same thing with my grandson, uh, last year we, when he was eating baby food, we made a lot of baby food for him. And now my granddaughter is getting to enjoy that as well. So I tell you what, that's, that's great. It's nice to step out there and get some fresh stuff that you know is safe for them. Very healthy, nutrient rich, uh, food. And make their baby food for them, you know, and uh, they they really love it. It's really good for them. Gives them a little boost in life. So always enjoy uh, doing that for the grandkids. Let's just jump into our question uh, for today's podcast episode. It comes in from James. And James uh, says, what would you suggest a person do first when buying a house? The details are I'm potentially about to buy a house with 1.6 acres, relatively flat with a few trees, but lots of open space. I currently raise quail, have a garden, and an aquaponics system. I'd like to expand all three of those things, plus get into farming part-time with some pasture poultry and possibly some meat rabbits and quail eggs. Thanks for the show. Um, Well, a lot of people would hear that and see 1.6 acres and think, wow, that's not a lot of ground to do all that. But I don't know, you know, as a guy who's been doing a lot of stuff on a 10th of an acre, I look at 1.6 acres and go, you can do a lot with 1.6 acres. And I think everything you mentioned there that you're wanting to do, you can do on 1.6 acres pretty easy. 
So we'll talk about that. So like I said a few minutes ago, I covered some of what I'm going to talk about here in more detail back in episode 93. Uh, That episode was called Laying Down a Strong Foundation for a New Homestead. And I talked there, and I'll mention it briefly here about six E's that I, I kind of said you want to kind of go through when you first move to a new homestead. And, and, and that was evaluation of your new homestead, education through reputable sources, emulating great examples for those who are doing what you want to do, establish the right infrastructure for your homestead, evolve gradually because you won't get everything right the first time, And don't forget to enjoy the journey as much as the destination. So I do think in your case, even here, evaluation is important. Now, you know what you want to do. You have a few ideas. You, you, you want to expand those things you're doing, your, your, your quail, your garden, your aquaponics, and, and you want to get into uh, raising some uh, pasture poultry and also possibly some meat rabbits and selling quail eggs. So you have some ideas. But now when it comes to permanent infrastructure, because the things I'm going to suggest today that you can start doing first are things that aren't permanent, can be moved, can be taken, you know, uh, done different things with right, real easy. So I'm going to mention those things. But before you put in the, the permanent infrastructure, you start putting up buildings. And I will talk a little bit about one particular structure you might want to do, maybe a couple. Before you start putting in the permanent infrastructure and trees, evaluate your property. Really understand why you're putting it there and think about all the reasons you want it there. And like I said, I talk about that in a lot more detail uh, back in episode 93. So so make sure you go back and listen to that episode to kind of think out the process a little bit. And, and again, you, everything has a reason for putting it there. As, as a guy who who has been homesteading on a small piece of ground, uh, it's really important. Like I see the real importance of, of the location of every single thing. The larger your property gets, the less important that gets. But you're dealing with 1.6 acres. It's a fair amount of land, but it's not a lot of land. And and you do have to be really strategic about what you're putting where. Uh, it's going to become really important. I mean, a tree can shade out a lot of things, you know, a building same thing. It can be right in the middle of where you're wanting to do something else. You have to really think these things out and really consider every every reason you're putting it there. So evaluation, really important. Education, again, really important if you're getting into something you've not done before. It sounds like maybe this is a first time for pastured poultry. So there's going to be an education process there. You're going to want to learn a little bit about that. And you're going to want to emulate some great examples of folks who are doing that. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. And then that is going to lead you to establishing the right infrastructure. And then you're going to move slowly. Don't try to do everything at first. You want to know what I suggest to do first when buying a house. A lot of this stuff I'm going to mention may not be first. It just kind of depends on, I want to give you some ideas on some things you might want to do soon, but not first. Um, there are some things, you know, evaluating first, of course. I mean, that that to me is a given. You want to just take a little bit of time and see what you want to do. But like I said, there are some things you can do that aren't permanent. You can get started doing right away, and it, it won't make any difference, you know, in the long run. Uh, it, it'll just get you started. I'm, I'm a big proponent of just doing things, you know. I see a lot of people that have this what's called uh, paralysis by analysis, they think about it too much. And I'm, I'm kind of the guy that I probably jump into things a little too quick. I, do, I don't do enough evaluating sometimes, but at the same time, 
I've been able to get a lot of things done in my life with that attitude. I've always been that guy. Um, you know, when I was 22 years old, I started my own trucking business and, uh, I jumped right in. I mean, I had never driven a truck before. I, I had moved them around. My dad had a trucking business and, you know, he'd have me hook up trailers or, you know, do little piddly things. And I'd never, I'd never drove a truck for a living. So I go to truck driving school. I went to a two and a half week truck driving school. I learned how to drive a truck in two and a half weeks. Like I said, I, I kind of knew a little bit about it because my dad had a business and I had messed around with him before, you know, moving them around the parking lot and hooking up trailers. And, you know, I've done that for, you know, a year or so, just moving stuff around for him and doing things. But, but I'd never really driven one out on the road. And I, I, I want to go into business. I'm 22 years old. I've already got three kids. You know, I'm managing a grocery store at this time in my life. I, I don't, you know, it's not what I want to do. I'm also doing some mechanic work in the evening for, for a guy. And, you know, I'm just, I'm doing things, you know, I'm just, but it's not nothing I want to do with my life. And, and it's, I'm not making a lot of money and I've got a family. And I thought, what can I do to make money quick? Well, my dad's got a trucking business. I'll go into trucking business. So like I said, I go to truck driving school for two and a half weeks. Most people, when they get out of truck driving school, they get a job with a company and they spend some time driving a truck. Not me. I go buy my own truck and trailer right out of truck driving school. I mean, I wasn't even out of truck driving school yet and I'd already bought the truck and trailer and I went into business for myself as an owner operator and I just jumped right in. You know, I didn't evaluate a lot. I didn't put a lot of thought into it. I just went to work and, and, you know, I kind of do that with everything I do. I did that with homesteading. You know, I wanted to raise rabbits. I just got some rabbits. Yeah, I, I didn't even have cages yet. I went and bought some rabbits and I just threw up some fencing in a circle in my garage and put them right on the floor. I didn't know nothing about it. Nothing. You know, we had some when I was a little kid, we, we raised some rabbits, you know, I remember my dad having some and, you know, we had them in some cages and I fed them and I didn't know a lot about them though. I just knew how to feed them and water them. And, you know, I jumped right in. Uh, it's not always the best thing to do. I mean, educating yourself is, is important. You know, it really is. Evaluating is important, but there comes a time when sometimes you just got to get to doing things. So I understand, you know, jumping in, getting some things done. And, and that's why I want to, you know, talk about in a minute about raising pastured poultry and give you some suggestions. You can check a few things out, but in the end, yeah, get started. You're going to learn more by doing than you will ever learn, uh, by, by, just studying and, you know, educating yourself. There's a lot to learn. And there are a few things for the, for the health and safety of your chickens. You should know. And, and for your wallet, uh, you should know going in, but in the end, you're going to learn a lot quicker just by doing, and you've probably experienced that because you raise quail already. You have an aquaponic system. There comes a time when you just jump in and get to work. And and I'm a doer, you know, I'm a guy who I think about it just a little bit. I'll educate myself a little bit. But in the end, I'm just getting after it. You know, I decide in my mind, I want to go do something and I just go do it. And, um, that's worked out mostly for me in my life, but I got to say, there's been a few times I wish I'd put a little more thought into something. So uh, it's not always the best thing, but I think what I'm going to tell you today, I think you can put the practice uh, right away and uh, you'll be okay. So let's just talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about, first, let's talk about the expansion of what you're already doing. Quail, gardening, and aquaponics. Gardening is going to be simple this year. It's going to be tough. If you're, if you're talking about getting started this year, uh, really prepping the grounds about all you're going to be able to do. I personally would, would find the area I'm going to, to talk to, uh, to garden and I would probably tarp it or I would put wood chips down on it. I would do something to start preparing that soil. You could tarp it, kill the grass this year, and then just, 
you know, leave it that way until spring, pull the tarps off. I don't know where you're at. I mean, if you're in a, in a warm climate, if you're down south, I mean, you might have time to plant a, a garden this year. If you're in a, a uh, if you're in a four-season climate, probably not. Uh, you're probably going to have to uh, just prep your garden this year. You might be able to grow a few things, but you're not going to be able to grow a lot. Um, but, yeah, definitely expanding that garden. And that's as simple as just marking off an area. But put some thought into that. Uh, you're going to do some pasture poultry. You're going to want to plant some trees probably soon. So you're going to be evaluating for that. So put that garden in a place where you think. So take a little bit of time and try to think it out. You know, Choose a sunny spot on your property preferably south you know a south facing access where it's gonna you're not gonna block it off with any trees or anything or any buildings or anything like that you know if you go to the south side of your property it's usually a pretty safe place to go because you're not going to plant to the south of that uh, probably any trees or anything so um, that's usually a good place to start with your garden uh, unless that's your front yard and then it's not always ideal but you know you can you can plan that out depending on where you're at you just got to evaluate that uh, but yeah get get a get an area marked off for a garden Start thinking about your trees and things like that. Now, your quail operation, expansion of your quail operation. You might just keep doing things the way you're doing them for now. Because I'm going to suggest a more permanent thing, a more permanent infrastructure here in a few minutes for your quail and your aquaponics. So, personally, I would not expand the quail and aquaponics yet because it. what I'm going to suggest you do... You can keep doing it the way you're doing. Just expand your operation. I don't know. You probably just got them in some cages or, or whatnot, and that's fine. You can just expand that and keep doing it the way you're doing it, and and that that'll work, you know. But I I think what I'm going to suggest today with combining aquaponics and your quail might be a better permanent structure and a better way to do it uh, because I see a guy that's doing it this way and I really like what he's doing. And if I had more room, it's absolutely what I would be doing. So we'll talk about that here in a few minutes because it's a more permanent uh, infrastructure and it's not one of the first things you'll do. I want to put it off to later, but let's talk about raising those pasture poultry. I do believe that's something you can do right away. I mean, you're talking eight weeks for, for a Cornish cross. If you want to raise some meat chickens and there's a couple ways to do it. You could set up some uh, electric netting. You could uh, uh, fencing, just the temporary, like push it in the ground, and and that's you can do that, and that's a good way to go. Um, it's, it's not expensive. It's it's simple. You're going to raise them, you know, in and there. You can move that around so it's pasture raising them. But personally, I like I like the chicken tractor uh, setup. It's the Joel Salatin model. Uh, that's where I first heard about it. I know a lot of people who are doing it. It's been improved upon, I believe. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute on, on the design of the chicken tractors, but it's something I, I think you should consider doing because you'll always have them. You can build them right away. Uh, you can just add to them. You can build more of them as you want to expand your operation. You move them across your land. You're giving your, your, your chickens fresh grass to be on every day. And it works really well, really well. There's too many people doing it to suggest that it doesn't work really well. I've never done it. I know personally people who are doing it and having a lot of success with it. And it, like I said, it seems to work really, really well for them. And it's uh, it's good protection for the chickens. It's good access to uh, the ground for the chickens. And just everything works out really well in these. Now, they're... They're not real expensive to build. There is a little bit of expense in building them. There's a little bit of work in building them. What I'm going to suggest you do, though, is go with – there's two models you can kind of build with. There's the larger original model, I'll call it, and that's the Joel Salatin model. Um, 
If you get his book, Raising Pasture Poultry, I think he talks a lot about that there. A lot of his books, he talks about raising uh, chickens, but he does what's called chicken tractors where you build these boxes basically that you have on pasture you go out and move them every day he has a really large cage he houses like 75 chickens in his and they're big and they're bulky and it's really kind of a two-man operation i believe to move these things they're they're big i mean you can do it by yourself but they're big and and they're heavy and um it's a lot of work moving those and he's got you know thousands of chickens he's raising out on uh, on pasture like this and and you just move them However size, whatever size your chicken tractor is, you move it that distance. Um, I'm going to suggest here in a minute, because of the suggestions of somebody else I talked to, and I'll talk a bit about that in a second, that you know you build them uh, five by ten. This is this is the John Siskovich uh, model. He's a guy who's he took Salatin's chicken tractor model and he kind of he kind of made it better. I mean, he made it taller. He made a walk-in door so he could get in there easier. He made it lighter. He made it a little smaller made it easier to move for one person, and I believe he made it a lot better. Troy McClung, who, who's been on this podcast a couple times, even hosted it a couple times for me, he, he built these. He built some of these, and uh, he actually done a video, and I'll put a link to the video where he reviewed the ones he built uh, in the show notes. So just go to the show notes. This is episode 99, so just go to smalltownhomestead.com forward slash 99. You can get to the show notes, and I still have a link to, uh, to his uh, a YouTube video where he reviewed uh, the uh, Siskovich chicken tractor design. And I think you'll like it. It works really well. Uh, I'll also put a link to John Siskovich's website so you can uh, actually see or to where his chicken plan, uh, chicken tractor plans are so you can check those out. You, you purchase them. It's not real expensive. You can purchase the plans, and it tells you exactly how to build them. And, and that's what that's what Troy did, and he built these chicken tractors. And like I said, they're 5 by 10 You use some uh, conduit, some lumber, some, you know, some uh, chicken wire. Uh, I mean, they're, they're nice. They're nice um, uh, chicken tractors. They have a walk-in door you build for the front of it. So you, there's headroom in there. You can walk in, do your feeding and your watering. And they're lighter than the, uh, they're smaller and they're lighter than the, uh, the Joel Salatin model. So they're easier to move, but, but they're heavy enough to where nothing's going to like lift them up to get underneath of them or anything like that. So, uh, it's a, it's a good design. And like I said, I'll link to both of those things so you can go check it out. And, um, I, I, I dropped Troy an email. I said, tell me a little bit about it. Tell me what you're doing so I can kind of pass the information on to this guy. And Troy was gracious enough to, to give me some information. He puts about, he said, you can house 30 chickens in each one of these tractors. Like I said, five by 10. That allows 1.6 square feet uh, per chicken, which is the recommended space for a tractor. Now, the Salatin model, um, I didn't know exactly how big they were, but Troy told me, he said, they're actually a 10 by 12 tractor. And they house 75 birds. So it's a lot bigger, but it's also a lot heavier, a lot harder to move. And you can't walk in it. It's a lower to the ground. You have to basically uh, feed, you know, have an opening at the top. And you just kind of lift it up and put everything in there. Um, I like the Siskovich uh, design a lot better. And I think most people who use it think it's a lot better of a design. Um, now, what you do uh, um, is take these these 5 by 10 um, attractors and basically, you're moving them ten feet every day. And now, it, he, like Troy pointed out, he keeps his um, in the brooder for the first three weeks. Well, these are eight week birds or Cornish cross, so they're only thirty five days on pasture, which means you move them thirty five times. Ten feet uh, per move is three hundred and fifty feet. Now he's got a, a large property, so he just 
what he does, he goes out 350 feet and uh, that's where he sets them. And then when he ends up, he ends up with his, uh, on the 35th day, guess what? He brings his end to where they're right at the pavement, basically where he's going to be doing his processing. So he don't have to like go out and get the birds. He brings the birds to himself over those 35 days, which I think is absolutely genius. Great job, Troy. Um, but 350 linear feet. So per tractor is what you're going to have to have. Now you have 1.6 acres. Let's just assume that you're going to have maybe a half an acre of that tied up. You're going to start these at about an acre back. A square acre is about 208 feet in length if it's square. So you need to move 350. So you're going to have to probably turn around and come back. So you can't, you shouldn't, um, put the the uh, and joel salatin recommends this as well you don't put the the tractor over the same grass uh, twice in the same season because of nitrogen runoff it hasn't had it the ground hasn't the soil hasn't had an opportunity to absorb all that nitrogen the grass will grow back just fine but the the, the it can create some nitrogen runoff issues to put them back on the same grass so you're going to probably want to turn around and bring them back so what i would do say you're starting at you know, a half an acre back, you have a couple hundred feet to work with. You know, you could go out uh, 18 days, which is 180 feet, turn around, come back 17 days. You're going to be real close to where you started from. Now, you, like I said, you can't bring those back on the same ground. So I would leave five feet spacing between the, my tractors. Say you set up three tractors. You're going to raise 90 birds. Okay, you build three of them and you can expand that or you don't have to do that. You can do 60 birds or just 30 birds. You know, uh, just if you're going to space out more than if you have more than a couple, just leave five feet spacing between them. Turn them around at 18 days, put them on the fresh grass down the middle uh, between your tractors and then bring them back down those rows. And you're probably going to be able to see pretty pretty clearly where you ran it out. There's going to be a line where it's going to have fresher grass. You're going to be able to see the the color difference in the grass and you're going to be able to bring them straight back, bring them back 17 days. You're almost right back where you started from and probably right up close to your, uh, where your activity is on your homestead to where you could, um, uh, process them. So I think it's a great design and, and you, and 1.6 acres, you can see how many, I mean, you could put several rows of chicken tractors and you could raise a lot of birds, uh, on that much ground, especially if you had long straight rows, you just need a couple hundred feet really to turn around and come back. So not even 200. So 1.6 acres is plenty of room to do some pasture raised poultry. Absolutely. Especially in that model. Now, if you set up some, some netting, uh, and you're moving that all around the property and doing different things, that's fine. And you know what? You could do a lot of work with that. The chickens could actually, you could actually put the chickens on a garden area with some netting like that, some, some electric netting and let them work a garden for you this year. You could even do that and, and prep a garden for you for next year. That might be a good plan. Matter of fact, I would probably, wherever I'm going to put that garden, even if I'm running tractors, I would be real, you know, seriously considering, uh, putting, running those tractors over that garden area. The first time I run my, my, uh, my tractors where I'm going to put my garden, take them to the South side of your property and run them down that line and let them go right over the area where you're going to put your uh, garden next year. And they'll put a lot of fertility at, into that into that soil for you so a, a great idea there so use use your chickens to do some uh, gardening work for you uh, wouldn't be a bad idea so that, that's what i would do first with the pasture poultry i would personally you know i would consider how many i'm going to raise if you're going to sell them maybe 60 or 90 birds your first season eight weeks is all you need eight weeks three weeks in a brooder 35 days on pasture and you've got birds that you're going to put in your freezer and a few to sell 
or give away or whatever you want to do with them. And then next year you can get really serious about it and expand that operation. And um, like I said, 1.6 acres isn't a lot of land, but it's enough to run that operation. You could do a lot of birds, a lot of birds in a pretty small space, you know, uh, and raise some pasture poultry. Now let's talk about uh, your other things you want to do. This, this is not, these are not to me first things. You're wanting to expand your, your quail operation, your garden, and in your aquaponics now your garden we talk about that's that's pretty simple you just till up a bigger plot of land and that's it's as simple as that quail and aquaponics now you're already doing these things you already know a lot about it i'm going to point you to somebody who's doing something that i wish i had the room to do and that's jack spearco over at the survival podcast if you go to his youtube channel and i'm going to put a link in the show notes to jack's uh, uh quail aviary and aquaponics combo build build started out as a as a um, a quail aviary. Okay, he he built this. It's, it's the the model is it's kind of known as the the Texas Prepper Two model. It's the YouTube channel. It's Texas Prepper Two, and it's this um, it's a greenhouse design that he has, uh, and it's uh, that you take fencing. And basically you lay out a border of uh, like two by something, two by sixes or whatever border. And then you make a hoop house with fencing. And, and then now Jack has done this, then he's ran hardware cloth uh, fencing over that, like at a, like took a, took like a cattle panel fencing and, and made you make your hoops with cattle panels. And then you take the, um, hardware cloth and you put over that he did that because he's got quail in there of course now if you're doing just a greenhouse you just stretch plastic over that but of course he he he's used uh, chicken wire or um hardware cloth to secure it make it really secure for his uh for his quail now in there not only did he have quail now he actually later he modified this he made it bigger he actually built a straight wall on one side to make it taller and um and you'll see this this is a playlist of videos and he goes from where he how he first originally built it all the way up to where he's at now uh how he modified it later how he put in the quail how he added in grow beds and put in aquaponics that feeds an aquaponics system that feeds uh, aquaponics tanks uh feeds the grow beds um and he's doing uh, regular uh what i would consider ebb and flow uh, regular um, uh, aquaponics beds. He's got some raft system beds and he has wicking beds that he's all set up inside this quail aviary with aquaponics. So he's, it's a combo building and, and he built this big greenhouse basically slash quail aviary. So he's doing both together. He basically just runs the quail on the ground. He walks around, just picks up the eggs. The quail are in there uh, being raised with all of his garden, his aquaponics systems. The quail don't really affect the aquaponic systems at all because they're up high enough to where they're not really bothering anything. And it's a good combo building and it protects his stuff year round. He's able to, you know, um, have a really productive area. Honestly, I wish I had enough room to build a system like this. I do because I think it's awesome. It's not huge. I mean, it's pretty long. I, I don't know exactly the, the measurements on it. But go check it out. It's a really cool setup. Again, this is permanent infrastructure. This is something you're not going to ever move. So it, it, I don't think it's a first thing I would do. But if you're talking about expanding in your quail and aquaponics operation, I would look at his setup. And that might be the way I would go to expand that and just make it as big as you want to make it. I mean, you could make it 40 feet long if you want and just have a ton of aquaponics beds of all kinds. You could be like I said you could be doing the ebb and flow, you could be doing the raft systems, you could be doing the the wicking beds like he does and just have a variety of things going on in there. 
And again, this is an expansion of your garden as well. You might want to just keep your outside garden, you know, uh, a manageable size and do a lot of your gardening in your aquaponic system in this and have a, a, a different kind of system garden and put your quail right on the ground in that room. And, and you got good protection for them year round. You got eggs. Uh, probably not year round, depending on where you're at. Uh, if you're, like I said, in a four season climate, maybe not year round, but you're gonna have a lot of eggs. They are a little bit more work to pick them up. I mean, cause they're kind of scattered all over the place, but you know, if you got like a, a dark, maybe a black mulch in there or brown mulch in there, they're going to be easy to see. You're going to be, you know, and you're not gonna have anything on the floor. So you're going to be able to see them pretty easy. Probably, you know, and, and I like how he suspends his, his, um, feeders. And one advantage I like about raising quail, I had mine on the ground before, uh, for a while. And one advantage to that is quail are messy with their food and they throw their food out of the, uh, out of their feeders a lot. Well, in a cage, a lot of that's wasted. It goes to the ground on the ground. They throw it to the ground. Well, they're just going to eat it off the ground. So they actually will, uh, you'll actually get more use out of your feed, uh, by raising them on the ground. I've noticed that I fed, I had to give mine a whole lot less feed, when I were, when I had them on the ground. So a uh, big benefit there. So just, these are some ideas, you know, I'm just wanting to throw some things at you that I would personally, if I'm in your position and I'm going to be moving to a, a 1.6 acre property, these are some of the things I would look at doing first to, to turn my new home into an expanded functioning homestead. I would get started with those chickens right away. If, if that's what I wanted to do, I'd build those chicken tractors. I might throw up electric netting the first year, but I'm probably going to build chicken tractors and run chicken tractors. Get those chickens going. You know, start prepping that garden for next year and, you know, just evaluating my property. I'm probably going to take this year, evaluate my property, see what I want to do, see where I want to build that that uh, quail aviary slash aquaponics area, see where I want to put in any new building, see where I want to put some trees. Really think about the layout of my property. And I know if you're looking at this property, you've probably already walked it. You've probably already done that. But it, it you know, you'll you'll change your mind on some things. You really will, especially when you get to know a property. Because why you want to take some time normally and evaluate a property? Does water stand anywhere? I mean, you're going to run chicken tractors across this ground. Uh, you get a good heavy rain for three or four or five days. Are you going to be running your chicken tractors through six inches of water? I mean, that's something you don't know because you haven't lived there. Um, is is it going to hold water somewhere? So it's something you have to consider. That's why a lot of times a lot of people suggest just take a year, evaluate that property, see what it's going to do. Know your property. I have a friend who moved to a property, moved to five acres. And you know what? He didn't know it flooded, but he found out this spring uh, a lot of water settled in his property. I mean, he had uh, several inches of water in certain places on his property in a big area. Uh, he did not know that when he moved in there. And now he knows it and he knows what he can't do there. You know, we went out there and, and built a um, little a quail pen on his property. We chose a location to put that. And guess what? He might have put it in a different location had he not evaluated his property for a while and seen that it flooded where it flooded. And uh, his quail might have been underwater, you know, so uh, in that quail pen. So, I mean, you got to, you, you know, you just got to evaluate a little bit and know what you have. Talk to the neighbors uh, and, and see, hey, is, does water stand on that property anywhere? You know, understand some things like that. And this is why it's important to just really take a look at a property for a few months. A lot of times, especially before you put any permanent infrastructure in. There's my suggestions. They're not nothing groundbreaking or heavy details. Go back and listen to episode 93. Look at those six E's, the uh, the evaluation, the education, emulating, establishing, evolving, and enjoying your property. Um, 
educate yourself. You know that uh, John Siskovich, those plans, he'll that can teach you a lot. There's some uh, get Joel Salatin's book. I'll put a link in the show notes uh, about raising pastor poultry. Uh, it's a good book. It'll give you some uh, education on um, on raising pastor poultry. Uh, talk to people. You know, reach out to Troy McClung, who I reached out to about those chicken tractors. Uh, his I'll put his link to his YouTube video. I know Troy uh, would be very happy to talk to you. He's actually in our front porch Facebook group, so you can hit him up in there uh, if you if you want. Um, I know uh, Troy would be uh, uh, more than glad to talk to you about raising uh, his his chickens uh, in chicken tractors. Um, so reach out to some people and get some education uh, on on doing things this way. And uh, enjoy that property. You know, 1.6 acres is not a lot of land to a lot of people, but there's a lot you can do there. There's a lot you can do there. And uh, enjoy it. You know, plant those trees, get that garden going, raise those poultry. You know, if you're going to sell eggs, you know, you can expand that uh, that poultry operation um, uh, to raising eggs, too, and your quail eggs. You say you want to get into quail eggs. You know, if you build that building like I was telling you, you're going to have a lot of quail in there and a lot of quail eggs. So you could absolutely sell some quail eggs. So there's a lot you can do. And I can get into a lot of details, but I just wanted to assure you mostly that you can raise a lot of pasture poultry on that property. You can do a lot of homesteading on 1.6 acres. So um, make the most of it. Enjoy it. And um, thanks for the question. I really appreciate it, James. Uh, again, those resources I mentioned, Farm Marketing Solutions uh, is uh, John Siskovich's website, and it's the Stress-Free Chicken Tractor Plans. I'll have a link to those in the show notes. I'll have a link to Troy's YouTube channel, Red Tool House, and episode 31 where he reviews does a review of the Siskovich Chicken Tractor Design. I'll put a link to Jack Spearco's Quail Aviary and Aquaponics Combo Build, his playlist of the spent, uh, beginning to end of what how, what all he did there and the modifying he did later. So you can check that out. And I'll put a link to Joel Salatin's book, uh, Raising Pasture Poultry, in there as well. So check all those things out. Now on to our Homestead Life segment, the segment where I, sh- I share in each episode uh, what's better in my life because of homesteading. And today... I want to talk about growing salad mix year round. And I kind of take this for granted. You know, I don't consider how awesome it is that, um, that such a simple thing like growing lettuce year round really does make my life better. And it does, uh, before I even had a greenhouse, I grew lettuce mix in my house in the wintertime, you know, under grow lights. And I grew a a variety of sprouts. Um, but now that I have a greenhouse, I, I grow a few lettuce varieties, uh, spinach, kale, and chard all year. Uh, I grow it in the winter in the greenhouse. I grow it out in my garden and through the, through the rest of the year. And, and I have access to a salad mix year round. Now this last year, I actually didn't, I actually took a couple months where I didn't grow anything in the greenhouse and I regretted that. And I will not do that again because <laughs> I missed it and I didn't have salads for a couple months. And I was like, I'm not to do that again. And, uh, even back in, before I had a greenhouse, like I said, I grew it in the house. So I always had a salad mix and, uh, I took that for granted how great that is. It's a big deal. Uh, when you when you grow it yourself and you're not buying store bought salads or, or salads from restaurants and things like that, it's a huge difference. It's a lot healthier, uh, uh, a lot more nutrients, and um, tastes better. And uh, you know, it's something that is so much better in my life. You know, a simple a salad is such a simple thing, but if you're having a few of them a week, it truly does make your life better. So my life is better because of salad. You know, and being able to grow it year round because of homesteading. So now uh, that's just something that's better in my life. If you want to submit a question uh, for the podcast, you can send your questions into ask at smalltownhomestead.com 
or call or text in your questions to our voicemail at 765-203-1949. Take all the questions you can throw at me. Every once in a while, I don't answer one. I have a couple that I'm not going to answer. Now, I don't. Here's some of the reasons I might not answer a question on the podcast. One, if it's something I've dealt with, you know, before, like even today, I almost didn't answer today's question because I answered a similar question back in episode 93, but I kind of want to take a little different uh, approach to it because of the chicken tractors. I wanted to talk a little bit about that. I might not answer it because I've answered it recently or I've covered it in a lot of detail before. Like I got a question on, on Comfrey you know, uh, here recently, uh, once you do a podcast on, well, I have a podcast that's pretty detailed all about comfrey. So I didn't really want to do a podcast on comfrey again, uh, because I, I covered that in quite a bit of detail. Um, I got one about quail. Well, I covered one about raising quail, you know, not, not so long ago too. So sometimes I'll, I'll reapproach a subject. If there's some new ground I want to talk about, sometimes I don't want to do that. Uh, also, if it's a really short question, I mean, I get a couple questions that are just kind of yes and no questions. Would you do this? Well, yeah. I mean, I really need to make a podcast out of that. Sometimes I can stretch it out and give it a little more detail, but not always. So, or if it's just something, I just don't feel like it's a good fit for the podcast. Like sometimes I'll get a, a question about a certain law or something like that. I, I don't really want to get into that. Sometimes it's just a, at the topic I don't want to get into, but most questions, I'd say 90% of the questions you're sending me are getting on the podcast. So send your question in. If, if, if it's a good fit, we'll, we'll add it into the queue and I'll answer it on the podcast. And, um, so don't hesitate. Just send it in. If I don't get to it, drop another one, you know, uh, send as many questions as you want as often as you like, and I'll get to most of them on the podcast. If you enjoy this podcast and you uh, you like what we're doing, uh, well, consider joining our Homestead Forum membership community. You can uh, learn more about the benefits of membership there at thehomesteadforum.com. And um, that's thehomesteadforum.com. Or you can just go to smalltownhomestead.com and click the links there that take you over to it. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in there. We're doing extra podcasts. There's videos. I Most weeks I do a weekly live chat. Every once in a while I miss a week, but most weeks I do a weekly live chat where I just jump in there and take a topic and talk about it. You know, we have a good little conversation there about just homesteading topics. Um, there are discounts to homesteading products from uh, some other folks. There's a lot of stuff going on in that membership group, and it's really worth the the small price of it, and it keeps this podcast going. So if you like what we're doing and you want to be part of it and you want to keep it going, uh, consider joining the Homestead Forum membership community. Uh, the show notes for today's episode can be found at smalltownhomestead.com forward slash 99. I appreciate you joining me today, folks. And until next time, happy homesteading and God bless. Thanks for listening. To see the show notes for this podcast or listen to other podcast episodes, go to smalltownhomestead.com. There you can also read our blog, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, and take advantage of the many resources we make available to help you along in your homesteading journey. Please share this podcast and help us to carry out our mission of helping others to homestead today for a better tomorrow. Tomorrow.